Thank you for listening to this message from the North Gate. Normally, when we do something like this, you guys probably expect that I'm going to do the majority of the talking, but I got a special treat for y'all. Mama Nietzsche has got some really good stuff for us tonight. So let's lock in. I'm going to uh, jump in where I can. And I'm ready and I'm excited. You ready, Mama? Sure. <laughs> Um, so who all was here for pre-service prayer? When Jen said that there was, she felt like there was an invitation. I've been feeling that all day. Um, I came in here like 2.30-ish, yeah, 2 o'clock. So I just feel like at the end there is going to be just a response. Um, but I'm just going to share what I've been stewing on. (laughs) And there is a lot of Bible reading. I'm not going to apologize because it's so good. <laughs> Prophet Mike, if you're watching, I borrowed your mirror <laughs> from your office. I have one coming on Monday. I'll put it back where it goes. <laughs> um, so, Kevin, don't worry about any verses because this is all from the mirror today. Um, like I said, it's a lot of reading, but it's really, really good. Um, so I would encourage you, if you don't have this translation, to get it because there's just some amazing notes Um, I love the way that he writes and puts things. So if you want to go deeper, get the mirror translation. (laughs) Um, So I'm just going to start off kind of where this whole thing started for for me, what I've been stewing on. A couple weeks ago, Mama T had the leadership ladies kind of share along with her in a women's meeting. And I had borrowed Jeanette's mere study Bible. We were all sitting up here just to kind of see what my verse that I was going to share said. Um, And it was in Ephesians 4. And I read it, and I read the note along with it. It's Ephesians 4.17, and it kind of just, like, blew up. Like, it's one of those things that you've read before, but then you read it again, and you're like, wow. And then in this translation, like, wow. (laughs) Um, And it's this simple. there be light. (laughs) Um, This is what I felt like the Lord told me. You know what? And I'll just, I'll read it right now just to start us off. It's Ephesians 4. I'm sorry, not not 17. Ephesians 4, 5 (laughs) says there is only one legitimate lordship, one faith, and one baptism. We are all immersed in the same oneness. And this is the note that goes along with it. It says, there is only one faith, not what we believe about God, but what God believes about us. Our faith does not invent God. God's faith defines us. Jesus is what God believes. I'm going to read that again because (laughs) it's so good. It says, there is only one faith, not what we believe about God, but what God believes about us. Our faith does not invent God. God's faith defines us. So I read that in her note a couple weeks ago, and it just hit me in the seat. And (laughs) I was stewing on it for a few days, and then I ended up sharing with the youth group. And I felt like Holy Spirit just simply said to me, I have faith in you. And I know that's so simple, but we need the simple truths. And it's one thing to have 
say, I have faith in the Lord, and I have faith in God, and I believe in the Lord, but when he says to you, which is where it all starts, I have faith in you, I believe in you, that's what our lives are founded on. So I'm going to kind of go on a journey with that today, just been an an interesting week, just (laughs) I kind of didn't know where to go at first when pastor said that we were going to be talking and to be really honest, I wanted to go back to the I am not tree. And he had me read uh, Romans 8. He said, go to Romans 8 and read Romans 8. And I said, read it until. So we're going to go to Romans 8 and we're going to read it until. So this is the part that's going to be long and I'm going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to leave out a lot of the notes because it would just, we'd be here for <laughs> hours probably. Um, but it's Romans 8, and we've heard it. It's a familiar scripture, so it's not going to be on the screen because we don't have the mere translation. So I just want you guys to sit and just to listen and take it all in, and I am going to read a few of the notes that really stuck out to me. So take a deep breath. (laughs) We know that the the version we're familiar with says the case is closed, right? That's how it starts off, so the case is closed. So this is what it says in the mere Now, the decisive conclusion is this. In Christ, every bit, in Christ, every bit of condemning evidence against us is canceled. The law of the Spirit is the liberating force of life in Christ. And this leaves me with no further obligation to the law of sin and death. Spirit has superseded the sin-enslaved senses as the principal law. Of our lives. And I want to read the note here because it says the law of the Spirit is righteousness by faith versus the law of personal effort and self righteousness. That's a lot of what Romans talked about. It's not about our personal effort, our self righteousness. He calls it the DIY tree, the do it yourself tree, which produces condemnation and spiritual death. He says that's the fruit of the DIY tree. So just so you guys know the difference there between this, this, the law of the spirit of life and the law of sin and death. So verse 3, the law failed to be anything more than an instruction manual. It had no power to deliver us from the strong influence of sin, holding us hostage in our own bodies. God disguised himself in his son in this very domain where sin ruled us in flesh. The body he lived and conquered in was no different to ours. Thus, sin's authority in the human body was condemned. The very righteousness promoted by the law is now realized in us, our practical day-to-day life. That's so important. Our practical day-to-day life bears witness to spirit inspiration and not flesh domination. Sin's symptoms are sponsored by the senses. Apostle has been calling it, I believe, the sensorial realm. A mind dominated by the sensual. Thoughts betray source. Spirit life attracts spirit thoughts. Spirit life attracts spirit thoughts. Thinking patterns are formed by reference. Either the sensual appetites of the flesh and spiritual death or Zoe life and total tranquility flowing from a mind addicted to spirit faith realities. You can have a mind addicted to, to spirit realities. A mind focused on the flesh is distracted from God with no inclination to his life laws, 
Flesh and spirit are opposing forces. It is impossible for those immersed in flesh to at the same time accommodate themselves to the opinion, desire, and interest of God. But you are not ruled by flesh consciousness. I'll say it again. You are not ruled by flesh consciousness. But by spirit consciousness, says faith. Since God's spirit is permanently at home in you, anyone who does not embrace the at-homeness of the spirit of Christ cannot be themselves. Anyone who does not embrace the at-homeness of the spirit of Christ cannot be themselves. Verse 10, the revelation of Christ in you declares that your body is as good as dead to sin's demands. Sin cannot find any expression in a corpse. You co-died together with him, yet your spirit is alive because of what righteousness reveals. Our union with Christ further reveals that because the same spirit who awakened the body of Jesus from the dead inhabits us, we equally participate in his resurrection. In this act of authority whereby God raised Jesus from the dead, he co-restores your body to life by his indwelling spirit. We owe flesh nothing. We owe flesh nothing. In the light of all this, to now continue to live under the sinful influences of the senses is to reinstate the dominion of spiritual death. Not reinstate spiritual death. Reinstate the dominion of spiritual death. You give spiritual death power over you again. To not come into agreement with who God says you are, you're giving something power over you. It says, in the light of all this, to now continue to live under the sinful influences of the senses is to reinstate the dominion of spiritual death. Instead, we are indebted to now exhibit the highest expression of life inspired by the Spirit. This life demonstrates zero tolerance to the habits and sinful patterns of the flesh. The original life of the Father revealed in his Son is the life the Spirit now conducts within us. And again, I know this is long, but it's so good, and I want to read the whole thing. Slavery is such a poor substitute for sonship. They are opposites. The one leads forcefully through fear, while sonship responds fondly to Abba Father. We are not slaves to a cruel taskmaster, but gifted with the spirit of sonship, engaging the tender affection of Papa without any reserve. Holy Spirit personally entwines our spirit, resonating ceaselessly within, endorsing Abba's parenthood. The fact that we are God's offspring certainly also means that we are equal heirs of God. Not only is God our portion, but we are his. We are co-heirs in Christ. So whatever we may suffer at any time could never separate us from our inclusion in his sufferings. Thus, every reminder of this mystery also reinforces the fact that we have been made equal participants in the glory of his resurrection. Sorry, gather my thoughts here for a minute. I have here in the notes that we are his treasure. And the note here says, I pray that your thoughts will be flooded with light and inspired insight, that you will clearly picture his intent in in identifying you in him. 
so that you may know how precious you are to him. What God possesses in your redeemed innocence is his treasure and the glorious trophy of his inheritance. You are God's portion. You are the sum total of his assets and the measure of his wealth. You're the sum total of his assets and the measure of his wealth. Your treasure in the hands of the mesmerized merchant. It says, thus my most logical conclusion is this. He has taken the sting out of our suffering. And what seems burdensome at the time (laughs) becomes insignificant in comparison to the glory which is about to be fully uncovered in us. This reflects the deepest longing of every created being, the one event which captivates their attention. Picture creation standing on tiptoe, withheld breath as it were, to mere witness for themselves, the unveiling of the sons of God. Can you hear the drum roll? And I want you guys to close your eyes because I want to read it again. Picture creation standing on tiptoe, withheld breath, as it were, to mere witness for themselves, the unveiling of the sons of God. Can you hear the drum roll? Every creature became subject to a frustrating life of vanity and futility because of a lost identity. We become subject to that life because of a lost identity. Creation involuntarily fell prey to a mindset imposed upon everyone. Yet within this stark setting, hope prevails. Almost done. It says, with eager expectation, every creature yearns to be released from its slavery to this wearisome, perishable existence, trapped within a fragile time frame of fading glory, into the glorious freedom of discovering their true sonship. They are indeed children and not mere creatures of God. Indeed, children, we sense a global groaning of birth pangs witnessed throughout history until this very moment. The world is pregnant with expectation. We ourselves echo their groaning within us. And while we are ready to embrace the original blueprint also of our physical stature to the full consequence of sonship, what we already now participate in as first fruits of the spirit will bloom into full gathering of the harvest. For what we already experience confirms our hope and continues to fuel our our expectation for what we still cannot see. In the final visible, visible completeness of the harvest, hope has fulfilled its function. In the meantime, our expectation takes us beyond visual confirmation into a place of patient contentment. Likewise, the Spirit also sighs within us the words too deep for articulation and mirrors our prayers when we struggle to find words. When we're not sure how to pray properly, Holy Spirit supersedes our clumsy efforts and hits the bullseye every time. And I want to stop here to talk about for a minute the importance of prayer because I have asked that question for myself, Father, what is the importance of prayer? What is it about about communing with you about prayer? And they're essential in the journey to wholeness. Because if 
you become what you behold, and you're coming in communion with the Father to dream together, to hear his voice in conversation, that's essential. That's essential. And this is what it says. I I love how it puts this. If I could find it here. It says, the Father knows us far better than we know ourselves. He knows our pregnant condition, and he keeps us present before God. So when we come in here and we don't know what to pray, or you're at home and you don't know what to pray, and you pray in the Spirit, the Spirit knows. And he's keeping you present before the Father. And when you don't know what to pray, you pray in the Spirit, and the Spirit keeps you present before the Father. says, Holy Spirit is not trying to persuade God about us, but persuades us about the Father in the finished work of the cross. This is verse 28. Meanwhile, we know that the love of God causes everything to mutually contribute to our advantage. His master plan is announced in our authentic identity. He has always known us face to face and engineered us upon the mere horizon of his faith to be jointly fashioned in the same mold and image of his son. We see the authentic pattern of our lives preserved in the incarnate one. He is the firstborn from the same womb that reveals our genesis. Jesus reveals that we preexisted in God and he defined us. He rendered us innocent and also adorned us with splendor and esteem. All these things point to one conclusion. God is for us. Who can prevail against us? The gift of his son is the irrefutable evidence of God's heart towards us. He held nothing in reserve, nothing, but freely gave everything we could ever wish to have. And this is what our joint sonship is all about. God has identified us. Who can disqualify us? His word is our origin. It's his faith, not ours. His word is our origin. No one can point a finger. He declared us innocent. And what further ground can there possibly be to condemn mankind? In his resurrection, he reveals our righteousness. and The implications cannot be undone. He now occupies the highest seat of authority as the executive of our redemption in the throne room of God. What will it take to distance us from the love of Christ? You name any potential calamity, intense pressure of the worst possible kind, claustrophobia, persecution, destitution, loneliness, extreme exposure, life-threatening danger or war, none of it can separate us from the love of Christ. None of it. Our triumph remains beyond dispute. His love has placed us above the reach of any onslaught. <laughs> There's no dimension of any calculation in time or space, nor any device yet to be intended, invented has what it takes to separate us from the love of God unveiled in our Lord Jesus Christ.
And that's the end of that chapter. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> um, isn't that good? If you really want to get into the notes on that, get, get the mirror translation because it's really good. So, yes, he had me read this. Um, and I had come in here, I think, to vacuum. And I had snatched, sorry, Mike, I had snatched the mirror translation out of his office. And I just sat in the back and I read it and I could just feel a peace come on me. And I could just feel the words. And it, I've been reading it over and over again. And I just feel the love of Christ while I'm reading it. And I feel a peace while I'm reading it. So... If, my goal, I guess, in any of this is just to encourage you guys in who you are. Pastor has been leading us on a journey in wholeness. Um, and originally when I was thinking on talking about some of this, I kind of wanted to shift it towards like how we treat others. But I feel like I didn't want to go there yet. And what I'm going to talk about a little bit is going to lead into that and how we minister to others and can love others. But first we have to just, again, Realize how much we're loved. We have to. Beloved identity has to be the core of it all. So, I'm not going to talk about the I am not tree, but there's a few things I just want to say on that side of things. The DIY tree. That's One thing I was realizing that I was kind of dealing with, again, to be super vulnerable, was just an, a general insecurity. At first, when I was, or we, we were told we were going to be speaking, and I wanted to go straight back to that, like, I'm, I'm not this, and I can't do this, and I just, you know, all those things. So this is what I felt like Holy Spirit told me after I read this, that introspection, or looking at ourselves inwardly, leads to insecurity 100% of the time. Looking inward and looking at yourself but not looking at the Father that's in you will lead to insecurity 100% of the time. You hear a lot, of, a lot of people say, well, I just have to go on a journey to find myself. Red flag. <laughs> Wait a second. Because I know what that's like to turn my eyes inward and to pick apart myself, to inspect myself. And let me tell you, it's not led, not, not ever has had led to any kind of fruit in my life. It leads instead to shame, anxiety, fear, worry. And I know this may cut deep, but eventually we end up worshiping ourselves. The essence of idolatry is worship, worshiping a false image of ourselves. And then we end up aborting what's in here. And I know that's like a big, like, but it cut me a little bit, you know. <laughs> insecurity or introspection will lead to insecurity 100% of the time. Jeanette, if I keep looking at you, it's because, you know, I'm just like... <laughs> I still get a little bit nervous, okay? <laughs> oh. <laughs> it says, we can't become who we're meant to be by staring at ourselves, inspecting ourselves. We have to, have to 
stare at Abba. And that's Abba within us. Abba within us. This was a big perspective shift for me because when I started to think about this and meditate on this during the week, every time I pictured this, I would picture Abba as being apart from me. And I grew up in a religious home and just a a lot of that. So a lot of that's getting unwound in me. And I never growing up thought of him as being in me or communing with him as being inside of me. So he's not far off when we think of staring at the face of Christ in me. He indwells me. He's not far off. He indwells me. I'm not looking at me. I'm looking at the Christ in me. Let my faith be in the Christ in me. Holy Spirit is here to convince us of who the Father is. Holy Spirit convinces us. And I'm going to skip over. I'm going to read something from um, 2 Corinthians here. I said a little bit all over the place. Wrong, wrong direction. No, maybe not. Sorry. <laughs> there it is. And this goes back to Ephesians where it talks about his, it's his faith in us. So this is 2 Corinthians 13, 5. I implore you to examine faith for yourselves in order to test what it is that you really believe. Faith is so much more than the mere veneer of a superstitious belief in a historic Christ. Faith is about realizing Jesus Christ in you, in the midst of contradiction. Just as ore is placed into a crucible where the dross is separated from the gold in a furnace, come to the conclusion for yourselves of his indwelling. And should it appear, I think you read this at Women's Missionette, should it appear to you that he is absent in your life, look again. Should it appear that he's absent in your life, look again. Take another glance. Go a little deeper. Gaze a little deeper. I am going to read the the note for this one because it's so good. (laughs) There is only one valid faith. Again, not what we believe about God or ourselves, but what God believes about us. It says, discover for yourself what God believes about you. God is persuaded about Christ indwelling you. Now he wants you to be equally persuaded. Holy Spirit convinces us of the Christ in us. Self-examination has nothing to do with fighting hidden sins and flaws in you. We don't inspect ourselves. It is all about realizing Christ is in you. And the object of the furnace is not to reveal the dross, but the gold. The object of the furnace is not to reveal the dross, but the gold. Christ himself is the proof of faith. He is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So another perspective shift when I would think of the Lord kind of examining me and, and, you know, just just looking at me and, Father, just sift through all my, you know, how Psalm says, my anxious cares or my anxious thoughts. I would always think it would be to find, get all the bad stuff out. But he's ridding you of those things because he wants you to see that Jesus is in you and that there's gold in you. 
And it's almost like he's mining you because you are a gold mine. And he's mining you to remove the dross. So any pressure that may come is to remove the dross, to refine you, to get rid of those things. And I was in here, when I was in here earlier to pray, I had the song Refiner by Maverick City on, and it's such a good song. I had it on a loop. <laughs> um, heaven snuck in. I think the Clendenins came in. and I felt like the, the Father said that you can either fan the fire of I am not, which is a false fire, or the, the fire of Holy Spirit can reveal the gold. The fire of Holy Spirit can reveal the gold. He's digging for gold. The Father is digging for the treasure. He's digging for the gold. And I'm so thankful that we do have a father and a mother in this house who are committed to finding the gold in us. Even times when we don't want it, <laughs> they are committed to us. And I'm thankful, even more thankful now, that we have a father and a mother that are committed to this. And I have been committed to that with their apostle. So I'm going to go to James. I love James. I'm going to skip over again to James 1. I'm pretty excited about this one. This is James 1. Um, it's verse 22 through 25. Maybe not that. Okay. Okay. Um, so Pastor actually had spoke on this, I believe, for a few weeks in couldn't remember exactly when it was, but um, it was in James. So some of you may recall it as I talk about this. So this is verse 22. Give the mere word your undivided attention. And when it says mere word, you're looking at a mirror and you see its beloved identity. I am beloved. I am the beloved of the Father. So give that mere word your undivided attention. Do not underestimate yourself. Make the calculation. There can only be one logical conclusion. Your authentic origin is mirrored in this word. You are beloved. You are God's poem. Let his voice make poetry of your life. Anyone who hears the word sees the face of their birth as in a mirror, sees, I am beloved. The difference between a mere spectator and a participator is that both of them hear the same voice and perceive in its message the face of their own genesis reflected there. They realize that they are looking at themselves, but for one, it just seems too good to be true. This person departs back to the old way of seeing themselves, and immediately forgets what manner of person they are, never giving another thought to the one they saw in the mirror. And I want to say this, that I believe that their gaze is going to come back. For those that have gone, have departed, I believe that they're going to gaze a little deeper. Because how can we not declare it in this room and it not happen? I believe they're going to gaze deeper into the face of Christ, and they're going to be able to receive the love that they need to receive says, the other that stays is mesmerized, mesmerized, that's the word they use here, is mesmerized by what they see, captivated by the effect 
of a law that frees them from the obligation to the old written code that restricted them to their own efforts and willpower. No distraction or contradiction can dim the impact of what is seen in the mirror concerning the law of perfect liberty. It says that law of faith. He believes in me. That now frees one to get on with the act of living the life of their original design. They find a new spontaneous lifestyle, the poetry of practical living. And what I love about this, they say practical living. That's not a bad thing. Because we're freed first to be able to live life. To live life. I feel like when we read this and we're, yes, we're freed because I'm going to go reach the nations. And yes, we are. But if we're not free to live a life of freedom in our own homes and our marriages with our children, and there be joy and revival and happiness there, and I'm preaching to myself, then what's that for? This is freedom to find a new lifestyle. It says new spontaneous lifestyle, the poetry of practical living. says the law of perfect liberty is the image and likeness of God revealed in Christ now redeemed in human form as in a mirror look deep enough into the face of your birth reflected in Christ that you may see there in its perfection a portrait that so resembles the original that he becomes distinctly visible in the spirit of your mind and in the face of every person that you behold And we cannot think of that of them first. We have to think about it as this. His neck's been hurt and pray for him. (laughs) The face of every person that we behold. Think of that. Who's in your house first? Can I take the freedom, the in Christness that I'm receiving, and pour that over into those in my home? Then we go down to verse 26 of that chapter. It says, meaningless conversation is often disguised in religious eloquence. Ouch. Just because it sounds sincere doesn't make it true. If your tongue is not bridled by what your heart knows to be true about you, then you cheat yourself. And I want to stop here for a minute. How do you talk about yourself? How do you talk about yourself? Do you talk about yourself addressing the old man, the I am not? Because that's going to put fuel to that fire. Or do we talk about ourselves as the new man? Because it says when you address that old man, you're cheating yourself. You're cheating yourself out of life. You're cheating yourself out of love. You're cheating yourself out of a life lived up here. That faith life that Apostle's been teaching about, the pastor's been teaching about. It says, if your tongue is not bridled by what your heart knows to be true about you, then you cheat yourself. Ouch. Skip over here for a minute. So this is actually, I'm going to go to another scripture in Second Corinthians, but this is kind of where one of the first scriptures that the Lord had given me 
and it's a familiar one. It's about second. It's um, about the new man in Second Corinthians five seventeen. It talks about the new man. Um, but just kind of staying in that same vein of how we speak about ourselves, how we talk about ourselves, how we think about ourselves, because that's a big one for me. How do I think about myself today? When I wake up and I look in the mirror, what do I see? How do I feel? Who am I addressing? I think I have a bookmarked here. Maybe, maybe not. It's in the midst. And if we're here a while, oh well. (laughs) It says, um, now in the light of your co-inclusion in his death and resurrection, whoever you thought you were before in Christ, you are brand new. A brand new person. A brand new person. The old ways of seeing yourself and everyone else are over. Acquaint yourself with the new. Holy Spirit is here to convince us of who we are in Christ. That's how we acquaint ourselves with the new. The idea of mankind's co-inclusion in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is entirely God's doing. To now realize that God has indeed brought final closure to the old. And for us to see everything and everyone. Everything and everyone. You see how this leads into the everyone? But it first has to start with us first. In this new light, it's to simply see what God has always known to be true about us in Christ. We are not debating human experience, opinion, or their contribution. This is exactly what God believes. In Jesus Christ, God exchanged equivalent value to redeem us to himself. And he went to the highest extreme in this act of reconciliation to persuade us, convince us of our original worth, our original intent. Mel, I love that you use that all the time because it's so big. And I love how she said it during prayer that he is the gardener. He is the gardener. He is the one that tends it, right? And Holy Spirit comes to convince us of what he says about us. I'm going to read something I want to bring up. Are we instating love or are we instating fear? Are we speaking love over ourselves or are we giving flame or fuel to that flame of the I am not? Um, I had typed out something Apostle had said. Last week, I think it was last Friday, just just a portion of it that kind of hit me. It says, beloved identity is to do more than to give you a boost. It's to give you a new seat. It's not a booster shot in the seat you've been sitting in all along. It's not an accoutrement to the life you've been living. We aren't accessorizing you with beloved identity. We're taking everything else that constitutes tooted the core of your identity, and we're saying that is not fundamentally who you are. Even the good stuff, and that part got me, because I'm like, wow, this is completely new. Like, he's even redefining in me what's good. We're saying fundamentally the core of what constitutes your identity is you are one dearly loved. You are one dearly 
loved. So beloved identity, like he says, is not to just be an accessory or an add-on. It cannot be just an add-on. It has to be at the core. It has to be the core of our mindset. It has to be the core of our actions. It says love couldn't be love without someone to love. He had to express it. He had to express it. He had to. Because if it's his nature to love, God is love. He has to have someone to pour it out on. When we were back at the other building, the, um, what is it now? It's just stuff now, I think. When we were back in the other plaza, there would be quite a few Sundays in a row where I would be in worship and I would see a picture of myself standing in a triangle or sitting in a triangle. And it was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it was love, loving love, loving love, loving love. And I would just get caught in the triangle of love, loving love, loving love, loving love. Because he has to express the love that he has. It would be against his nature. And if we're created in the image of Christ, it's our nature too. It's our nature too. And that's a big one for me. To believe that I was created to pour out that kind of love. I am created in the image of Christ. It's natural for me. Start saying it like it is. It's truth. It's natural for me to pour out love. It's natural for me to pour out love because I'm created in the image of my Father. And His love burst forth. His love continually burst forth to me. So then I in return burst forth my love towards Him. In this moment, in this moment, he's bursting with love for you. And he wants a people bursting with the love he's given us. It's in our nature to burst forth with love because we were created in the image of the Father. But every time that we don't agree with who he created us to be, we dam up the love. And that hit me hard. Because every time that I say, I don't, I'm not that, you damn up the love. And during the week, you catch yourself, I'm not that. I can't do this. You damn up the love. And then we want to come in here. And he's always pouring out his love. But what are we doing during the week to tear down the wall? to be vulnerable, so that that love, to agree, is the word I kept hearing, to agree. I just feel like there's a grace tonight to agree a little more, a lot more with who we are. That's why I feel like sometime at the end we'll go back into just that that flow of worship, and I love what you were singing, Mel, if you want to go back into that, but I just sense that invitation, that grace today to agree a little more. Because you can agree one way or the other. You can agree with the I am not and put fuel to that flame, and then you're reinstating the power it has over you. Or you can put fuel to that fire of love with Holy Spirit. Now I'm kind of just getting to the point where I'm like, I agree. 
I agree. I'm tired of fighting. <laughs> and I think every single one of us has to get to that point where it's not the Lord tugging us. Come on. Come on. You just, you give in. You agree. And the more that you agree, the less the struggle will be. I just rhymed. The more that you agree, the less the struggle will be. And for me personally, it was a lot of this struggle in here. Obviously, we live in a world where things are going to happen. You know, cars are going to break down. Washers are going to break down. (laughs) You know, things are going to happen at work. There is those struggles. But what about the inward man? What about the anxiousness inside? The inward man. Can you be just by yourself with you and the Father? Can you be just by yourself with him, just meditating on him? Or is there an anxiousness? What's eating away at you? What's eating away at you? What wall do you put up? Tapping off that love that is meant to pour out of you. Psalm 24 says that we are gates. Open up, you gates. Open up, you living doors. And we could look at that as something coming in, but also, what's going out of the door? If I am a door, what's coming out of me? What's pouring out of me? Am I coming into agreement with who I am so that love is bursting forth out of me? Or am I damning up myself by not coming into agreement? Um, so I'm just going to hit on this real quick. I had had a, a dream I think earlier this week, and I'm not going to get into like the core of it or the details of it, but in the dream, I was um, cleaning for my sister, doing my thing, cleaning her house, and I, I got distracted. And there's a few things I got distracted by in the dream. One was... Um, I had gone to look for my purse, and I actually looked up what the word purse signifies. It can mean your personal identity. Your valuables, you hold your valuables in your purse. So I had left, I had left cleaning. I had left what I knew to do to go find my purse, and while I was looking for my purse, I went to old places, old places I used to live. I also conversed with old friends. And there was a connection with an old man in the dream. I kind of came to, I realized what was going on, realized that I had gotten distracted, and I went back to cleaning. But isn't that interesting that I had that dream right before I was going to talk about this? Like I said, I'm talking just as much to myself in this. I think the thing that hits the biggest is not to get distracted by the old man. Not to even address the old man. Not to give him any part in our life. Because new is new, is new, is new, is new. So I was reading this the other night, and actually the last couple nights I just have fallen asleep reading So I just felt so peaceful 
Um, but I could just feel there's a difference between something hitting you and then you like hitting you so much you feel it. And I could just feel the Christ in me. And I felt like he was just telling me that I am the answer for the world around me. And almost like I could feel what Christ in me, the hope of glory, actually felt like. Christ in me, the hope of glory. I could feel what it felt like. And I felt so loved just reading through this during the week. And I'm not sure like what Mike wants to talk about, but I feel like there has to be a response to this, not in the way that we come up and Again, you grovel over the old man. That's not it at all. But if he's bursting forth with love for you, then we want to burst forth with love for him to tear down the wall and say, I agree. And I just think there, there's a grace in here to agree with who we are. And what better place to do that in, than in worship if you become what you behold, you become what you behold. It's just a grace to agree. Can I just make two quick points before we do what we're going to do? In the very in the very beginning, where it says the case is closed, there is now no voice of condemnation. What does no voice mean to you? For a, lot, for a lot of us, that sacrifice of Jesus, Jesus shuts up the enemy. It shuts up the voice of the law. It shuts up those people that are around me that I feel like condemn the, the, the way that I live or the things that I'm doing. But at what point do we allow our voice of condemnation to ourselves to be silenced. There is no voice of condemnation, not even yours. The introspection that leads to insecurity is you looking on the inside and condemning yourself. And then all you can see are all these imperfections that he's coming to burn away like dross. My second point is how far is Yahweh willing to go to bring you into wholeness? I was reading through, and she's going to laugh because she's like, I can't believe you're going to talk about this. I was reading through Jonah this week and studying and li listening to some old, I'm talking old Jewish rabbis, historians old, like dirt old. I was like, I can't believe he's still talking. But I'm read, reading through Jonah, and all of us know the story. Jonah gets swallowed up by the whale. He's called to go release a prophecy over this city. He doesn't want to do it. He tries to run away. Swallowed up by the whale for three days and gets spit up on shore, and he... <laughs> He releases the prophecy. And what happens in that city? The king hears the prophecy and immediately 
covers himself in sackcloth and ashes. He calls the entire city of Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. Calls the entire city of Nineveh to a fast because maybe Yahweh would have mercy on us. And they're repenting. They got all the animals on a fast. They're not allowed to eat. They're not allowed to drink. They took the babies away from the parents of the animals so that the, the parents would billow and they would, they would cry out to the heavens. And you know who the Jewish historians, I'm not teaching this as doctrine, I'm not teaching this as, I just think that it's extremely interesting. You know who Jewish historians believe the king of Nineveh was? The pharaoh of Egypt. The one that had 10 plagues released on his nation and his heart was hardened. And the, all of the armies of Egypt were destroyed. But Yahweh said that I was going to spare him so that you would tell this story to the nations and that they would know of my mighty power. Jews believe that that king that repented was Pharaoh of Egypt. How far is Yahweh willing to go to bring you into wholeness? You imagine everything, if that be true, I just think it's incredible. How, what does that say about the character of Yahweh? Even if it's a story, their tradition, however they teach it. Wow! Everything that he experienced because of the hardness of his heart and everything that happened to his, his nation later because of the gross, I want to say it like this, the grossness of what was going on in that city. Yahweh tells a prophet to go and in the midst of him refusing to go because he knows that they'll repent. He gets, swallows them up by a whale and spits them up on the beach and says, go do what I asked you to do, son. And immediate, this time immediately is brought into repentance. How far is he willing to go for you? How far is he willing to go for you to bring you into wholeness? Come on. So I feel like we're going to do what Mama Ash wanted us to do. So if you guys want to come up, we'll get the worship team up there. And this is not a groveling session. We just spent almost an hour talking about not staring at the trash can, right? This is a coming and beholding Christ in you. And going a little deeper in the belief of the Christ in you. Again, as we come, I just sense the Lord wants to mine us. He wants to find the gold in us. So as we come and we worship and we just behold the face of Christ, whatever that looks like for you, just allow the Lord to search you and just find the gold, the treasure in you. And dream with Yahweh. Behold with Yahweh. Let every wall come down. 
never worked anyways. What does the song say? There's, what, no wall he won't kick down. Coming after us. So, Father, we just want to behold your face again. I thank you that you are in us. Christ in us is the hope of glory. There's something in you that the world needs. And it's time for us to believe it. There is something in us that the world needs. And Father, we agree tonight. We agree. We agree. We agree. We say yes, Father. We say yes to you, Abba. Say yes to your love. We say yes to your face. So I just speak deep encounters tonight. Deep encounters with your face tonight, Father. We want to behold you. We're not worried about anything else. We want to behold you tonight, Father. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your love, Father. Thank you for listening to this message from the Northgate. If you would like to donate to this ministry, please go to www.thenorthgateoh.com and click on the link at the bottom of the homepage.